And this was kind of summarized with a report from Bohurst, which said last year, uh, it was only actually 342 businesses raised investment for the first time. Today, we're talking to IL3 co-founder Thomas Vosper as he tries to provide an aggregator platform that helps consumers make better shopping choices. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by the Harvey Nash Group, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some technology news. So it's Friday morning. We're actually recording the day the podcast goes out, which is rare. I'm joined by Akish. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. Very well. We uh, we are recording on the morning. And what a morning it is, eh? Bank Friday. holiday weekend. Who'd have thought it? Oof. Bank holiday weekend, Friday morning, sun's out, and we're both sat in our home makeshift home offices. <laughs> but it is a work day. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. True. But Let's yeah, not love forget that. Very, very true. Very true. I feel very middle-aged. I'm very excited about something that is being delivered in a few hours' time that is actually not very exciting, but I'm very excited by it. I bought a lawnmower. Oh, brilliant. Very good. What kind of lawnmower, though? Is it, is it the... Um... Is it like the, the the vacuum one that like packs it all in? Is it just the one that just throws it out once they've cut it? Or? No, it's, just, it's got a little grass box on the back, but yeah. it's um, it's it's battery powered, so it's 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 cordless, Ooh. and you charge up the battery and shove that in, and then off you go. Oh, very good, mate. That is very good. Mate, the grass needs it. It's had so much bloody rain, and now there's sunshine. It's like a jungle out there. Is it? My cat. My cat looks like she's some kind of. I don't know, lion prowling through the savannah. It's a bit weird. <laughs> is that is that what you're doing on uh, on the bank holiday then? Tackling your back garden? Definitely, it needs it. It needs yeah. it. it yeah. Uh, yeah, it's um, like Very I say, it's not exactly. It's it look. If someone comes round, it's like, do you not give a shit about the appearance of your house? <laughs> <laughs> Which I do. So yeah. you know, exactly. Slap on the SPF. All right, put the shorts on. Listen to a nice podcast in the ears and uh, crack on. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thinking of shopping and buying things, our mm. founder, uh, today's guest, um, or rather the founder who is today's guest, uh, Thomas, is uh, from Aisle 3, which is an aggregator for shoppers. So we'll hand over to that interview and then we'll come back with some country afterwards. So today I'm chatting to Thomas, Thomas Vosper, uh, co-founder of Aisle 3. Is that right? Spot on. Exactly right. Um, do you have another title? Is it CEO or is that... Something that is kind of quite fluid within the organisation. Um, I think uh, 13 or 14 months into running a startup, uh, while CEO might be the glamorous title that uh, that we have, <laughs> I've probably probably had about seven or eight different jobs at any one time. You probably have seven or eight in any one day, right, at the minute? Uh, that's about right. I think someone asked me about what do we do with some of our operations the other day, uh, to which I said, oh, that's my Saturday job. So look, Aisle 3 are a new company. You've been described as the Wikipedia of product search, um, but you're a new company. You're new as of the pandemic, right? So there's a good chance that a lot of people won't have heard of you. Who or what are Aisle 3? Yeah, so um, yeah, Aisle 3, I love that tagline, Wikipedia product search. Aisle 3 is a mass aggregator and technology business that is aiming to show shoppers all of their options and buying options in one place. Now, in layman's terms, what do I mean? If uh, you relate to this as a story, you might find that it's quite easy to buy something quite complex like car insurance or house insurance on a comparison site 
maybe the one with the opera singer or the meerkat. We know who I'm talking about. But if you actually want to buy something like a pair of wireless headphones or buy some trainers and find the right size in a color that you like, you probably end up having to open six or seven different tabs across the top of your browser and check a myriad of different retailer sites just to find the best deal, whatever the best deal is for you. And so we aim to fix that by um, taking the effort out of uh, product data and retailers and brands listing on all these different places and aggregate their products into one single view for shoppers. Interesting. So how did the idea come about? Um, because I, I think I think it's quite interesting to find out what your journey was to this business because, um, what, 18 months ago, it, it didn't exist at all, right? Mm, absolutely right. So, um, you know, I've been an e-commerce veteran for like 14 or 15 years now. Um, I started at Amazon back when there was half a dozen of us on the marketplace team. So when we didn't even take up a full building in Slough and you probably knew almost everyone in the building on first name terms. Um, and I was always drawn to Amazon actually by their mission to be that everything store. Um, now, I mean, we could talk for way more than 20 minutes about how that's kind of ended up now and whether we think that's good or bad for shoppers and how terminal it is for independent retailers. But I mean, that's probably one for another day. But I spent uh, I spent, you know, half of my career there at Amazon across all of the different products and services that we kind of take for granted and categories that exist today. Um, I moved to Tesco for a couple of years um, to try and build a site on a general merchandise site, uh, marketplace around that. Um, and I actually spent the last three years at a price comparison startup, um, which sadly went bust or went into administration um, about two weeks before the first, um, the first lockdown. Um, and so really that was like the catalyst of all of that time spent um, working directly with brands and retailers in e-commerce and thinking about what is the best thing for shoppers and looking at actually what were Amazon doing 14 years ago and why is it exactly the same today um, and how can I change that? And that really was the genesis of, of Vile 3, five days after getting that WhatsApp message to say, hey, sorry, the company's gone into administration and you're not going to get paid this month. A WhatsApp um, message? Yeah. Um, so again, story for another day. Um, yeah. You know, five days later, that was really the catalyst to say, look, maybe um, – Maybe I can take all of these lessons, of which there are many over such a long career in e-commerce, and what would it be like as a 40-year-old first-time founder to try and go from zero to tackle a technical challenge that we still don't see Amazon or Google fixing right now, or anyone else for that matter, um, and can we build a team, can we raise some investment, can we actually like get something off the ground, and so that is... That is aisle three, and and here we are, yeah, like thirteen or fourteen months later. And now, as I understand it, and if this is slightly out of date, then please update me as we go. But you've grown to serve about two thousand organic shoppers each day, waiting list of about six hundred signed retailers, twenty plus digital agencies with more than a million products. And you started off in trainers, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know, historically, Amazon started off in books because they're 
easy and they have robust uh, international product codes and they were a tax efficient product. We started in trainers because they're really difficult. There's lots and lots of variants. Um, the product uh, data and IDs are sketchy at best, absent at worst, or you know maybe the other way around, whatever. Um, and so we wanted to really prove that we could aggregate something that just no one else was doing um, at all. The many retailers don't even on their own sites. Fair enough. Now, you've been remarkably successful at raising money um, during the pandemic, which is something that has been spoken about a lot. You know, I've done a lot of conferences where there's been kind of workshops with starters and talking about how they've kind of, um, how they've dealt with um, the, the VC community and so on and angel investors. And it would seem to be that the narrative is that that, that funding community has focused or doubled down its efforts on homeworking solutions, on office solutions, on stuff that's quite traditional and quite safe. Whereas, to be perfectly blunt, you've just told me there that you 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 took a bite out of a challenge that you decided was quite decidedly quite quite hard. Um, so it it seems even more impressive that you've gone and raised the money that you have because this isn't something that's directly applicable to the situation in which we find ourselves in right now, is it? Well, it's very interesting, actually, when you sort of mentioned VCs, venture capitalists seem to be deploying an awful lot of cash right now into uh, businesses that are purely built on selling on Amazon and are already profitable. And I find that quite bizarre because I don't know, unless I'm missing something, that's not VC money, that's not innovation, that's not disruption, that's basically um, deploying cash to stick a barnacle on the side of a big ship that's well, already safe bets, sailing. Isn't it? They, they, oh, yeah. they would seem to be they would seem to be kind of migrating back to those safe bets and and your business on the surface of it it's very innovative and it's very it's obviously serving a need because so many much so much money is being spent online but it wouldn't appear to be as safe a bet as some of the other propositions out there but you've done it successfully well this is the interesting thing and, and the success is also something that i don't know that i always feel completely comfortable with because you know, firstly, like raising money is the mechanism for us to be able to grow a business, grow a team, hire the right people and build the right product. So, yeah, I find it really difficult in that kind of echo chamber of social media to kind of shout about how great it is that we're successful, that we've raised, because on one hand, it is, by the way, a monumental achievement. But on the other hand, it's a means to an end for us to grow the business. And I suppose... There's also no, and I find this really challenging um, as the kind of figurehead of the business, there's no marker for success. You know, like we raised uh, just under half a million pounds across two rounds. Um, we have really, really credible investors. Like every one of our investors is a valuable advisor to the business um, and are experts in their field. But at the same time, you know, there are stories where someone's gone from like nowhere and raised like 10 million pounds. And so did I raise enough? Did I, was I successful? Probably not. I think when you kind of scratch under the surface, you probably realize that most of the headline stories that you read of big raises are people who are either serial entrepreneurs or are backed by a large VC or investment fund who's invested in them beforehand. And this was kind of summarized with a report from Bohurst, which said last year, 
uh, it was only actually 342 businesses raised investment for the first time. And so you're actually in a quite a small pool. Um, when you look at um, all of the decks and businesses across like Angel Investment Network and the like, um, you know, we're like 1% of businesses that raised. And if we kind of also look at the fact that, you know, 80% of businesses don't even see their first year because either the founders fall out, burn out or tap out. Yeah, it depends which lens you look at it through as to whether we're a success or not. But um, it's certainly been a roller coaster. <laughs> Very humble answer. But I suspect in there you're kind of talking about the fact that, you know, when you look at success, people tend to have been serial entrepreneurs or people who've invested in them before. You said yourself, you're a first time founder at 40. So that would suggest that there is something there that people can, can learn from. What, what, do you, what do you think has enabled you to raise that money? What, what do you think, if you had to, to give advice to other people who are first-time founders, how, how have you managed to kind of create those relationships and, and what would you suggest other people do? Yeah, I, I think in my sort of salad years of trying to raise, I made an awful lot of mistakes of just thinking about pitching and just trying to get the money in. Um, and actually... Um, as those conversations matured, I started to realize that, um, you know, through a volume of about, so it was about 600 meetings across two rounds, um, was, was the sort of volume that I was speaking to people about. And um, I started to realize that actually, you need to try and find the investors that are going to have your back and help you grow the business and help be an advisor. I, I remember someone actually said to me, um, oh, if, if I invest in you, can I be an advisor to the business? And I said, like, what, at what point are you about to put a bunch of cash into my business and not let me pick up the phone to ask you for some help <laughs> or share some ideas? Um, and so really, like, as a first-time founder, that was, um, like, a really pivotal moment for us of business when we started to have the right conversations with the right people. And you can kind of filter that out yourself a little bit. Um and I think this has really helped with Zoom, right? People, I think, take meetings a little bit more. So like these Zoom, these hangout, these conference calls, you got to look into kind of someone's eyes when you're talking to them and not be that founder that is going to spend 20 minutes pitching someone, thinking just about the cash and watching on the camera on the other side, someone's eyes glazing over because they're not interested or they're not relevant. And so we actually kind of really flipped the narrative and started almost all of my investor calls with, you know, really great that you've taken some time out of your day to speak with us. Uh, what areas do you invest in? Are you actively deploying capital? And what businesses have you invested in that are similar to ours? And if the answer is, oh, I only invest in like ed tech and I'm not really investing any money right now and I'm, I don't even know e-commerce so tell me about it like okay that's great at some point maybe there isn't a, a relevance for an investor to come in and support you in a different area but like not right now at the early stage of the business that we are and that was really key for us and, and that's again why I think you know the validation for aisle three that we're solving a problem is that the investors that we have um, have a background in marketplaces, digital marketing, um, they have background in tech platforms. Um, it's really relevant. You mentioned we, uh, mm -hmm. probably referring to we as a company rather than than anything more specific than that. But you do have a co-founder, uh, James Valbuena. Um, mm -hmm. How do you know James? 
so James and I worked together at our last company. So James was in exactly the same situation as I uh, when we were both kind of simultaneously made redundant. Um, so is that op- there was that opportunity then, I suppose. Mm. You both had the, the time. Um, however, it's, it's tricky nonetheless. You might work with someone, but finding someone who truly complements you as, as, as a co-founder to start a company, right? Yeah, that's the kind of lightning in the bottle moment, really, for us to grow the business. Because the reality is, um, I'm, you know, I have huge admiration for anyone who is a sole founder. I don't know how they do it. Um, hand on heart, I, I couldn't do it. Um, and the reality is, is that you spend so long trying to raise money for a business or have all of the operational parts of a business, which just takes so much time and energy actually like building a product is near impossible and so that's where we've managed to find a really good balance to be able to actually like solve some of the technology uh, build the site build the product start to have shoppers engage with the site uh, in parallel with everything else that happens because it's really easy to kind of forget the amount of stuff that that happens to run a business and so what i mean by that is like if you think about when we formed the business at the start of the first lockdown it was almost impossible to open a bank account like even something trivial like opening a company bank account was was impossible because all the banks stopped opening accounts and so there's that and then you pull together all of your proper legal docs um, and then here we are like 13 months later, we're now actually forming a subsidiary company in India to better support our remote workers over there. And that in itself, again, is 18 different documents that all need to be notarized and then signed in the UK and then couriered over to India in the midst of their pandemic because they're at a different stage to us. Um, and on top of that, we had uh, we lost communication with our brand designer for a long weekend because he got caught up in the Black Lives Matter protests. We had a UX designer who uh, went dark on us for a week because uh, Belarusian presidential elections caused riots that um, meant that the president switched off the internet for a week. <laughs> Well, we know we know that he's liable to doing some fairly interesting things. Right, very topical right now, of course, right? So, you know, like the, all these kind of different things happen everywhere. And so, yeah, you really need like that, like a, almost like a football team. You need that like robust spine through the business um, that is there able to do more than one job. But yeah, um, the, yeah like just doing it alone is just frightening, frankly. Look, um, one thing there that I suppose you're touching on to a degree is is that resilience as a business. You talked about a lot of stuff that gets thrown at you um, somewhat unexpectedly. And uh, using that football analogy, I suppose there's, um, you know, the best sides sometimes have to have to muck in. Even the most flair, flair sides have to have to dig in and grind out uh, a result. Um, have, there, have there been days where you've felt that the team had to say this so it doesn't appear kind of in any way negative but where they they really feel like they're having to dig in and grind uh, to a certain degree and it's it's not as fun um because i suppose i suppose whilst what you're building overall big picture is this is this thing that you've you've got a passion for um there must be days where it's it's difficult and you question and your whole team questions why on earth are we here doing this 
Uh, yeah, it's very challenging, right? Which is, again, why I struggle to see some of the kind of stories that you get in that echo chamber of social media. It's a bit like judging yourself on the person or your looks on the person of the front cover of the magazine because, you know, they don't even look like the person on the front cover of the magazine after the filters and the airbrushing has been done. And that's the reality of it. It's incredibly hard work. I mean, we're, <clears throat> we're very much committed as a people first business to support our team. You know, we've built the entire team remotely across the globe and seen most of our cohort of talent is now based in India. And we furthered our commitments uh, to actually building a legal entity in India. So the irony is, is that the first official aisle three office and like permanent office with our, our logo out the front of it. It's actually going to be in a, in another country from the one that we were founded in. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of continue that commitment to our staff because you're right. It's not easy. Um, I don't understand. I, I'm actually going to call them out. Actually. I don't understand any founders that put stuff on LinkedIn that say I get up at five and then I meditate for an hour and then I have a freezing cold shower and then I write a journal and then I do yoga. Oh, and then I drop the kids off at school and then I'm done for the day so I can sit down and think about what I'm going to do with the business. Like, no, like I work 18 hours a day and that's like six days a week and the day off I check in and also work for a bit um, and everyone who is excited to join our business, they also work really hard and we don't demand they do. They join us because they recognize that, you know, a problem that's exists for the last 14 years that Amazon and Google aren't able to solve and we are on the cusp of solving it. By the way, spoiler alert, we've kind of cracked it for one, one method and we're just about to crack the, uh, the other method for product aggregation that no one else is doing. And that's what makes people work hard and get them out of bed. Um, but yeah, like absolutely, it's tough and it doesn't always feel happy. Um, uh, and yeah, like, that's it, that's the reality of startup life, guys. I mean, that's probably why so many burnout, like I said, burnout, tap out, you know, fall out. That's it. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. I think on that point, you spoiler alert, is, is a good place to finish um, <laughs> because it does allude to the fact that it's going well despite that that difficulty. And it's good <laughs> to hear a, a, a refreshing and honest update on on what it's like and reminding people that it's tough, but you can you can you can make some headway and you've certainly done that over the last year so it's it's fantastic to see a, a new business doing so well and solving a, a a problem that's been around for for well over a decade um if someone was to want to find out more about your company either as an investor or maybe they're just a customer and they want to find some trainers what, what are the best ways to find out more yeah absolutely i love to hear from customers i love to hear from fellow founders as well that i can support and also investors you can email me directly it's thomas at isle-3.co um, anyone can email me and ask for some feedback or some support. I'm very, very open and very transparent. If you are looking for a pair of trainers, then isle-3.co is our new site. It's quite timely because we just launched the new version of the site um, over the last few days. And again, we'd welcome feedback um, so that we can continue to improve. Perfect. Well, look, Thomas, thank you very much for your time today and I hope it continues to go well. Thank you for having me. Right, there's a couple of things in this that that, that struck me. I love that uh, they started with trainers because it's really difficult and they wanted to prove that they can aggregate something that no one else could. I mean, that's just quite ballsy. It is very. 
and and especially as there's so many well you know this better than most because you're always buying trainers but (laughs) there's there's always so many options so many colors variants um but the biggest thing that i find confusing when you're trying to compare and i've bought trainers from various websites and and he mentioned in the interview you know normally people would have five six tabs open that is me like i'll have three four tabs on there and then i'll maybe have a few pages open up on my phone as well um mm-hmm. or i'm just trying to find out you know the best price and the biggest thing for me is the sizes i think because it's all like depending on some websites it's uk sizing us sizing european sizing and if you can just have that consolidated mm-hmm. on one platform you go right this is the size i want this is the color whatever um and then kind of choose you know i think it's it's great very, very and then all the sizes other sizes true to fit is it narrow is it wide yeah is it normal exactly that's a new thing that i know i'm sure when i was a kid there was never this question mark of whether or not you've got wide feet yeah but also have you seen a new one where it's like <clears> you know uh, fits larger or fits smaller it's like, <clears> what, <throat> what do you mean i'm a uk Surely 10 it's just the size yeah, yeah i'm a uk 10 it should fit me doesn't matter if it fits smaller or fits larger I don't know what it means. to be fair it's probably kind of erring into the world that women have the face where like a size eight in one shop or a size 10 in one shop is not the same as an eight or a 10 in another shop which must be entirely frustrating because yeah because i am used to going into a shop and it being like these jeans are 30 inches and it's like yeah well then they're 30 inches it's it's a pretty clear measurement of what that is it's not like 30 inches changes from one shop to another yeah i know i know it's it's just crazy and also we're we're at an age where there's so many options now there's so many online retailers a lot of retailers have have obviously been born in the pandemic so to speak and there's so many more options that you probably had well you probably didn't have about a year and a half ago um Mm. and i think well aisle three right they they started in the pandemic um yeah so there's so many more places that you can now go to get things um and be accessible for you that i just think if you have a a consolidated place where it's all in front of you it's easy to navigate it's it's so much better um and obviously alluded to the whole car insurance and um home insurance and all these sorts of things i mean mm. I, I remember back in the day i mean i'm i'm fairly old and i still remember my parents <laughs> you're like, not fairly old well no i'm not well compared to you but, <laughs> but <laughs> like you're in your mid to late 20s you're no, not fairly like, old in anyone's I'm almost 30, anyway almost 30 but I, I remember when you had to ring up different places right you, yeah you actually had to call physically and then repeat Get all of your details yeah exactly repeat all of your details all of that um and it's yeah it's just madness and and now to think that you could just store everything bang here's the ones that are suitable for you and that's it you know it's um it's a much easier way of of living um but but coming back to that point about it being ballsy like as as thomas mentions in the interview 342 businesses raised uh money for the first time last year 80 percent of businesses don't see out the first year is it i suppose it's like right if we can prove we can do this we've we've shown our metal we've shown that that we're a business that you can trust and invest in and is going places versus taking an easier route where i suppose there's already a mature market but it's going to be harder to get noticed mm. and i think yeah and and and, and I, I guess the ballsy part comes from the fact of saying right we're going to arguably launch and start and ask for people to back us in the hardest time that i've seen 
I think, for businesses, mm. for people, for, for just, you know, um, in life, really, um, and the changes that the whole world had to go through. And I, I think it's ballsy to say, here's an idea, here's a concept, this is what people want. And we've talked about it in the podcast before, like months and months ago, where, you know, people's online profiles and people's online kind of, you know, habits have changed massively during the pandemic. Mm. Um Obviously, there's things like cybercrime and that sort of thing that has come along with that, which is the the downside of it. But I think to be ballsy and say, this is an idea. This is what we're going to be doing. This is what we feel is a gap in the market. Give us your cash and we'll show you a return on investment. Yeah, massive. Um, And I'm sure there were probably some sleepless nights um, that they had. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm sure that they probably went through a lot of, you know, moments where they're pulling the hair out thinking, right, we've got this cash, we've got this backing. Now we actually have to make this work. But then that's the stories that we love to talk about on this pod. Right. And and, Mm -hmm. and love to kind of talk to people that have been through it. So, yeah, I think it's great, man. I think um, they're very, very good. Really like it. And and it comes across with passion, which... um, yeah, which unfortunately isn't the case with all CEOs. I know he doesn't really go by the CEO title, but you know, founder, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, we'll go to a quick advert break. Thomas, thanks for being our guest on today's show. When we come back, uh, we'll have a little bit of a chat about um, branding. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, Keish, this is a bit of a random one. Sony Movie Channel, which was formerly Movies for Men, um, has been renamed Great! with an exclamation mark. Right, okay. Okay, now you might be wondering why the hell I'm going on about this, but I thought it was quite interesting because what they've basically said here, and I had no idea. Have you ever stopped and watched Sony movies? Do you know what? I've I've watched the movies for Men Channel like sometimes, and and I'll I'll tell I'll tell you when I have watched it. When I have watched it, it's like normally when you're just watching TV, kind of like late at night or something they, they they're normally playing like a, a die hard or a you yeah. know like an air force one or the fugitive you know these sorts of titles right some old school movies that you you know you've watched them about 12 times you know what's happening but because you can't go to sleep and there's nothing else on you just end up watching it so yeah i have watched it yeah now it's interesting that you you mentioned die hard because uh let, let me just give you some context um it's not like the channel's struggling it's one of those yeah. things that you don't watch, or, you, or the, if you don't watch, you assume no one else does. But actually, there's quite an audience for the Sony Movie Channel. So, on average, just under a million people in the UK watch at least three minutes of the channel a day, which is more than Comedy Central or Cartoon Network and about half the audience of Dave. Over the past year, its most popular films have been Die Hard with a Vengeance, <laughs> um, 
a Jason Statham vehicle called Homefront. Not watch that. Um, uh, apparently in which James Franco plays a Louisiana meth baron. Maybe I should see that. Uh, and Pretty Woman. So yeah, old films. Mm. Um, and what, what the analyst here is saying is that about 70% of the audience is over 55, which is pretty old. That's pretty old, mate, not nearly mm. 30. Yeah. But the audience has been stable for the past few years. And the thing about an older audience is they're less likely to be recording, watching it later, or fast-forwarding the ads. Interesting. Mm. Is that just old people are a bit lazy? I think they probably just don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> they probably don't oh, know what they're we've doing. Just lost, we've just lost half our audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but right, what they're doing is that great with an exclamation mark is fairly generic. It doesn't sound considered or consumer-focused choice, but it's driven by business concerns. If you want your name to make people believe you're great, it doesn't need to sound aspirational. The word great with an exclamation mark um, it might have a a nostalgic feel for top 10 list of films, but you know, it's whatever what's going on. Basically what they're trying to do is they're investing in new, um, uh, territories and they're moving, uh, to a kind of an on-demand platform online. So what they basically want to do is, is create something that's really bland and plays in lots of different territories, which is rubbish. So, you know, there are only so many names that work on TV and on an app with old and young people in Sweden as well as Swindon. Hence, oh. great. Isn't that a bit crushing? The, yeah. digitalized, the, the digitalization of television and, and the need to try and appeal to a broad audience means that you end up with an absolutely crap bland title. And, but what I don't understand, right? So they, they, they've launched this thing where we're in an era where people are talking. Just about, renamed it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So we're in an era where people are talking about cutting edge, you know, bringing new things to the market, you know, leading with something, you know, with with loads of innovation. They've just gone, scrap that. <laughs> we'll just stick to what we know, and it will just work, right? Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> I bet you this this concept's probably come up in some sort of a pub or a you know a Zoom quiz or something, and they've just gone, yeah, great, let's leave it, let's go. <laughs> oh, I don't know what they're thinking, but it does surprise me though that people are watching that more than the Comedy Central channel, which yeah, which is which it also is worries me that they they measure it by like a million adults watch it for three minutes a day, like mm. that's. Is is three minutes the mark where they kind of go right? That person's probably watching the channel. If you've if you've rested on it for three minutes, you're invested. Well, yeah. that was quite interesting. Yeah, or I think it's that weird three minutes where you go onto the channel, but there's an ad break, so you kind of stick out the first couple of ads. So your PC world and your you know kind of Halfords advert, and then you you watch the movie for about a minute and a half and go, oh no, nah, don't don't quite fancy it's too far in. Unless unless it's Die Hard and you're a quiche. Unless it's Die Hard and you're like, right, put your feet up, you know, get your drink and, uh, yeah, settle in for the next two hours. <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance, yeah. definitely. John I mean, Mc Die Hard's a brilliant film, but it's it's you got to watch it at Christmas. It's weird watching Die Hard in summer. And Die mate, Hard with a Vengeance, all year round, class. Yeah, anything with John McClane, mate, I'm I'm all over it. I'd watch it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Bruce Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, and Jeremy Irons. 
can't go wrong yeah very very good very very good but um but also i like the fact that it's not called movies for men because growing up i thought it was you know yeah something yeah. uh something that i probably shouldn't be watching with uh my family in the house <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm glad they've changed it from there because uh you know imagine that i'm just oh just settling down for the evening to watch movies for men so what are you watching <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Right, on that note, Akish, have a lovely bank holiday. You too, mate. You too.